Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Reasonable Doubt, the podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the executive producer and creator of the show. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm investigator Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right. That was quite a show. It doesn't stop here. It's just been a season of tough, tough cases. Um, before we get it to talking about... It does get warmer, about- though. Actually, it's funny. We went from, like, uh, extreme weather. Like it, it was like Chris and I right. were just enjoying... Where were we? Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, we had never been in Scott. I've never been to Scottsdale and it was beautiful. And we were just enjoying that weather and that beautiful house with the pool. And then Rob was like, you know what? You guys have just been naughty this season. So now we're going to <laughs> Fargo where you're going to freeze your butts off for a week. That was me. I literally, literally thought like, I think just from seeing the movie and I've watched some of the TV series, yeah. I really thought like Fargo was this really small, super quaint town where like people would be like, hey, what's up? Don't you know? And it's like <laughs> no, a real no. it's like a real little city and it's damn cold. So well, it was I nothing like this, what I though. thought. The um that little downtown area or the or the college town that was awesome because the rest of the rest of the area did look quite desolate and I was like oh my gosh we are going to be victims on the next season of Reasonable Town <laughs> this place is in the middle of nowhere and all I see is snow um yeah. but that that little like fun you know it was like a main street for all the college kids we we enjoyed that at least we you know I mean we were able to get our green smoothies there right. in L A yeah, you know- you know what I saw? You know what I saw? I saw a lot of snow. Oh. It was way too much snow and it was way too cold. I'm a Southern boy. So I like, I like my heat. I was okay yeah. in Scottsdale. I we're California people. I we, showed up in like really cute, like what I thought were winter boots. And then everybody looked at me and they're like, you're going to be sliding around right. outside. So <laughs> I had to make one of our crew members take off her shoes and I used her shoes. Jazzy. I was wearing Jazzy. Oh my God. That's right. Yes. So let's get to the case. Uh, this is the Ken Anderson case. Let me give you guys uh, a little bit of background before we get going. The White Earth Reservation in Ogama, Minnesota. 
April 13th, 2007, 8 a.m. 34-year-old Chad Swedberg kisses his wife goodbye, leaves home, and begins walking along a wooded trail. His plan? To spend the day making maple syrup. But moments later, shots ring out. Swedberg has been hit by two bullets. He will soon bleed to death. 911. My husband, he's laying here. I don't know what's wrong with him. I heard two shot glass blasts this morning, and I don't know where they came from. There are many suspects, but police soon key in on the victim's best friend, a man named Ken Anderson. Ken is asked to turn over all of his weapons to law enforcement. And when police search Anderson's property, they find a rifle hidden in the rafters of his barn. He's arrested and charged with murder. May 2008, the trial begins. Even though Ken is Native American and Chad was Caucasian, no Native Americans are on the jury. Prosecutors build a circumstantial case, mostly around Ken's rifle. It's enough for the jury. Ken Anderson is convicted of first-degree premeditated murder. He is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. But it, and, and here's another case where I think last week when we talked about these cases, we talked about the wise. And here's another case that the wise uh, in this case, even though it was more prevalent than it was in last week's case, you know, the wise were still in question. I mean, so thin that I still sit here every night thinking about other ways that that murder weapon could have gone up in the rafters. I mean, I just I know that I was so annoying and I'd like to apologize to everyone, um, you know, on this no. episode because <laughs> annoying for Tima? No, I do. I, I understand. I, I just I can be a lot when, you know, when I really want to make sure we get it right. And I do want to consider, um, and, and this doesn't mean that you guys don't want to get it right. Obviously this is coming out wrong, but I guess it's just, there, there was so little evidence. Um, and we're talking about two best friends and it, there just wasn't a lot there showing that, you know, even though, even though we got into possible rifts, you know, they were kind of things we had to really dissect and look at, like, was it possible that this could have been what, you know, got between them? Because, other than that, they were just like brothers. They were, you know, two good friends. And, um, it was just hard to believe that he would have done this. And, and there just wasn't any evidence other than the possible murder weapon being stored on his property, which is when you say it out loud. Yeah. Okay. Guilty. But you, you can't also, you know, rule out the possibility uh, of being framed. But at the end of the day, I had to just look in the mirror and say, okay, Fatima, if he was framed, they did a really good job at it. I mean, nobody saw somebody get that gun back, hide it in the rafters, you know, so I, I conceded and, you know, I did feel like, okay, there's just, not enough for anybody else, right? We had like four other suspects in this case. There were just like so many people who had in, more incentives to kill uh, Chad over Ken, I, I felt. And so I could not move on to Ken really until I had ruled those people out because I just kept feeling like, wait a minute, where were, where was each of these people? Everybody who kind of had an issue with him. Um, 
so yeah, when you say this case was thin, I, I still think about it for sure. You know, it's funny because uh, we talked about the whys in last week's episode, and maybe this is just my take on it. I didn't have that hard of a time with the whys here because to me, everyone tried to make it, uh, minimize it by saying, and, I, and I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about the people we spoke to, like, well, nobody kills over an ATV. It wasn't an ATV, it was betrayal, right? It, it was a, it was a, best friend betraying another best friend um, over the leeching business by selling him out to the cops. Uh, you know, when Chris interviewed Ken Anderson, Ken claimed that Chad was the person who stole the ATV. If that is true, and that's dubious, uh, Chad then steals the ATV and then tries to sell his best friend out. I, I think people have killed for less. So I, I don't know. This one, more yeah. so than the last one, didn't seem as much of a leap to me. I totally I see. It's so funny that you felt that way about that whole situation, because I saw that situation completely different. Surprise, surprise, Rob. Um, I saw it as these two friends, these childhood friends who have grown up together, they get in a lot of trouble together. They like to drink. They like to hang out. They, you know, they're, they're not the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The friend described them, the older gentleman who I got to interview. Uh, he said, you look, they were both the same. They got their money. They went out, they partied, they, you know, wasted their money. And yeah, sometimes they, you know, there were little things there that may have been criminal, like stealing. He felt like Chad, and Ken both stole the ATV. He even said something like he had seen it and, and went over and hung out with them. And so he knew that, uh, in his opinion, Chad knew the ATV was on his property. So I guess my thought on, on how that went about to make that the motive wasn't enough for me because my thought was these guys are kind of acting together, right? So when Chad gets picked up by the police and they're asking him how that ATV get on your property, he's saying, Oh, you know, call my friend uh, you know, call Ken. And he knows very well that when they call Ken, Ken's not going to say Chad, Ken's going to deny it. That's why he does that. Uh, well, you know, I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I think that, you know, to me that the fact that Chad gives over the phone to law enforcement is kind of telling, you know, he, he don't want no parts of it. Look, uh, yeah, it's on my property, but I know who got it here. Let me call him for you. He can explain it to you how he got hold to it. And he gives But even the if that's over. the case, Ken can handle it. You know, if Ken did steal it, all yeah, right. Yeah, but I, bro, but, you, I you but Fatima, you see the possibility that it could be seen as a major betrayal. Uh, it could ratted, be seen as He ratted way. up. He ratted. No, I understand it, but I'm just saying you're open to the possibility that Ken saw it as, oh my God, my best friend ratted me up. That's a possibility. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just that once again, Ken's going, oh, my best friend ratted me out. Meanwhile, Ken, if you're the one who stole it, then, you know, I just don't think he's going to be that mad at his best friend when he's the one who stole it and put it on his best friend's property. I mean, he's got some cul culpability, too. So is somebody really going to be that upset when they did that to their friend? They stole it and put it on their friend's property? He would be mad if his if he knows that he stole it and his friend, his best friend, betrays him. Yeah, I, I could see that. You know what's happening. funny about this, guys, is I think we had this exact conversation. Yeah, we did. Doing the it does sound familiar. And here we are again. So sorry. If anybody, if, well, for all our listeners who want to know what it's like when we're out on the road and we're discussing these cases, you just <laughs> got a taste. <laughs> so I think, you know, what weighs heavily and it's really at the heart of reasonable doubt is that as much as these are murder investigations that Chris and Fatima are looking at again, we're here to help family members, family members who are stuck. And I think in particular, uh, Geraldine, 
uh, did touch our heart that way. Uh, she has given up everything for her son. If you don't mind me asking, how much have you racked up in legal fees fighting this case? Right now, I still owe close to $140,000. I've been owe 140000 That's why I have to keep working. Wow. It's mother's love. How can you put a price on that? You can't. Yeah, that was uh, that was very, very heartfelt from uh, Geraldine. I, I really felt bad for her. Just imagine. I mean, uh, she's already $140,000 in debt now on a house that he, she had previously paid off, if I'm correct. And uh, yeah, she's she's and she's still digging herself deeper into a hole. Uh, trying to fight for her son, which, you know, you can never put a price tag on the mother's love, just like she mm-hmm. says. Uh, but at the same point, you know, wow, that, that was that was very eye opening for me. It's hard with moms. Um, you know, I, I enjoy them as loved ones because nobody fights like a mother. And so yeah. it's you know, you're there and you're hearing from somebody who's, um, you know, been giving their all in this fight. And, and it just drives you even more in the investigation. But it's also the hardest because at the end of the day, you know, no matter what you can, no matter what information you take back to a mother, you could you could say, um, you know, Geraldine, I'm sorry, but we actually found this video and, you know, it shows the whole murder take place. And I right. I think that a mom would still say, you know, how do I know this isn't altered? How do I know? No, where's the real. DNA? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and not to make fun of, you know, Geraldine, I think that's just a mother's love in general. Right. I'd probably say the same about my son. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm somebody who should understand all this, but um, it's, it's just a mother's love. And so that, that amount is devastating because, you know, she deserves, uh, you know, and at this point in her life, this age, she deserves to be living a different life. She, she doesn't deserve to be working so hard. And, um, yeah. you know, there's no end in sight for her as far as paying things off and, and retiring and not working. Oh and, my God. Yeah. She's, she just turned 74. I spoke to her a couple uh, days ago and, and she's still in the yeah. fight. Um, she didn't want to come on to talk. Uh, she's still processing things, but she uh, she's not giving up. Now, one of the leads that we got from the family um, was that there was jury bias. Ken Anderson, Native American. There were no Native Americans on the jury. And Fatima, I want to play a clip. You spoke to the uh, the jury foreman and you were really kind of trying to suss out whether there was bias. And I'm interested about your process because, I mean, I would think when you ask someone, hey, are you biased against this group or that? Nobody's ever going to say yes. So what are you looking for uh, when you do question people along those lines? So what are the stereotypes about Natives? Are there stereotypes? I mean, the crime rate may be potentially greater or something like of that nature. Is that one belief that people may I mean, have? Yeah. Propensity I mean, I, to commit more crimes? Yeah, I think maybe. I mean, there's more poverty on the reservation. Try not to judge that, but... Um, Do you think you had some bias when you noticed that the defendant was a native? I don't believe so, no. No. Well, I first off just want to thank you for making me look um, not so bad in this interview because I remember finishing the interview that day and you said you were very hard on him. And I felt so terrible because I really did because I didn't feel that I was that hard on him. And afterward, you know, he and I were talking, I thanked him and he, he see, you know, he didn't, he didn't run away from me. So I didn't, I didn't realize that I, I, I jumped on him that much, but this he was goes- too, he was too afraid to run from you for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no place we were in the middle of like an ice, <laughs> uh, right. icy well, river there's nowhere to go he could go anywhere <laughs> i jazzy's timberlands on at that point so yeah i could by the way 
If any viewers are going to watch this show again, watch Fatima walking up to it. You can tell this is someone who does not walk in snow. It is the best walk up ever. I was using my arms to the max, like balance, like, because I've done plenty of like face planting, running into doors on the show. I did not want to face plant in the snow. I mean, it was, yeah, not fun. All right. So someone Um, like him. So what are you, what are you looking for? So this is why I guess, you know, I was so hard on him to go to your question is because what I am looking for oftentimes and what I get when I ask these questions is I'm never, I'm never going to sit across from somebody and they're going to say, yeah, I mean, I have some kind of bias. It's going to come out in another way. And I, this happens often um, with jurors when I've asked this question, you know, and, and ultimately they will say things, you know, mention the way the person dressed or where they come from. And, you know, this, this gentleman, he was just the nicest man, which is another reason I feel bad that I probably attacked him, but he was so nice. And you can tell that he probably doesn't really have a bad bone in his body. You know, he's probably just a really sweet person, but that does not mean that people like him do not have implicit bias. We all have implicit bias. Okay. And so when it comes to cases like this, where we're talking about an all white jury an all Caucasian jury and one native and the natives have this rep in that town, you can't sit there and say, well, no, I don't feel a certain way because, you know, there were other questions that I, I, always ask, which is, well, are, do you have any close friends that are native? You know, do you, what is your experience with natives? And these are a lot of questions that obviously the, the show doesn't air, but that's how I could find out a little more. And so I want to say that I didn't feel, um, that it played enough of a role in this case to where, um, you know, they, they lean the way they did because of his skin color, because of his background. Um, and he had said, you know, it was what it came down to was that, possible murder weapon being stored up hidden. Okay. Not just in his house, but like hidden. Right. So Mm -hmm. somebody either goes out of their way to frame him or he's going out of his way to hide it. Um, and, and yeah, of course, when he says that was the, you know, the evidence that really did it, I mean, that's the evidence that really did it for us too. So, but, but I will say this, I think no matter how many times somebody's going to sit there and say, no, I, I don't have that implicit bias or no, I didn't feel that way. I think it's really hard, um, to, to, Uh, to really evaluate whether you do have it when you're just normally not surrounded by those other people. And when you are, there is such a negative narrative about them. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I have a problem when someone says that, you know, that they know that there's this negative stigma that's attached to this certain group of people. And, um, you know, you're able to tell what that stigma is. And then on the other hand, you say, but, you know, I'm not I'm not a biased person. And well, most of these people are not. Nobody's going to admit that they have biases, but you really you literally just kind of implicated that there is a bias against mm-hmm. these uh, this, this this particular group of people. So did it, but it's, did it but it's tough, major? though, isn't it, Chris? Like, let's let's say and I'm Jewish just for anyone listening who's about to get upset. But, you yeah. know. You know, like, Wait, let's say you are Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> so let's say let's say you, there were jurors on the Bernie Madoff trial and they say, you know, have you ever heard of a reputation for Jews? Well, yeah, we've heard of reputations with money and stuff like that. Does that make them an implicitly biased? Because, I mean, I think most people, even if they reject that stereotype, have heard it. Right. So I mean, we all know stereotypes, right? right? We can all say, I can say what people think of my people. Chris can say what people, I mean, we can all articulate and, and, you know, give examples of stereotypes. I think for me, what I was pointing at and, and Chris, um, you know, if you disagree, but for me, it's asking the other questions such as, and, and I did ask them to this juror, you know, in, in your daily interaction, do you have friends that are native? Do you interact with natives often other than in public? And, you know, um, are they a part of your community, your inner circle. And when somebody says no to those things, that to me says, okay, so you have nothing else to base a decision on as far as an opinion of this certain race, right? They've heard the negative. Well, how would they even know the positive if they didn't really interact with those people? So I think anybody who's watched this episode probably wants to know what happened with Chris and Ken. Because, uh, Chris, this doesn't happen too often, but you guys really, really mixed it up. So I want to play a clip and then uh, let me know what uh, (laughs) let me know what you think. I love when Chris gets ticked off. It's so great. When the law enforcement executed the search warrant on your house, why did you become so agitated when they went to the bar? Chris, you, you, you're kind of getting me a little mad because you just told me. Ask Let me, me explain questions. to you what I'm asking you. Maybe you're not understanding my questions. Right. I asked you, why did you get so agitated when the law enforcement officers went to your barn? Are the you law kidding enforcement me? Well, I'm saying, are you kidding me? 
Answer that. If, I'm going to resume exactly where it was, Chris, because you sort of pissed me off. Wait a minute. We'll both get pissed off over this phone call. This phone call don't have to go on either. I'm going to have to ask you the hard questions. So if it's going to keep making you upset and, and all this other stuff, if you want to hang up the phone, we can stop right here. But I can't help you. I can't help you if you're not willing to answer these questions. You know, that it was a pretty contentious uh, type interview that he and I had together. And, you know, it it was easy to push him over the edge, which kind of leads me to believe that he's a he, he's a little bit of a hothead. Mm-hmm. Um, As a, I know I'm not a defense attorney on the show, but guys, oh, my gosh, I was cringing as a defense attorney. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> Stop. You are not helping yourself. And and this is why everyone, this is why when people are like, why didn't he take the stand if he didn't do it? Uh, hello, because some people are just hotheads. Some people, if you, if you're not, if they feel you didn't hear them appropriately or you, you know, they didn't understand your question all of a sudden, I mean, they look way worse than they could be. Right. This did not help Ken out at all. Yeah. You you know, it just, it just kind of, placed a little bit of emphasis on that, you know, he, he he is a little bit of a hothead. He is a type of person that's going to get upset if uh, you, you put, push the wrong buttons with him. So was it was it something that factored into my decision making? I, I can't say that it did. I, I mean, the man's been in prison and, and according to him, he's in prison wrongfully. So he has a little bit of reason to 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 be upset. But my my point of the matter is here I am an independent investigator looking to look into the injustice that you say was done to you and your family and and in order to to give some sort of closure to your family or either potentially help you and you get pissed off when i start asking you about some of those questions that you haven't been answered asked or you really haven't answered uh you know yeah that that it it uh it uh it was very telling. It was. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we've heard that before too. For like, you hear sometimes the loved ones will say, "Oh, yeah, they get really mad if I don't answer the phone or call them back." And like, I think Geraldine had said something like, "Well, he calls a lot and he wants us to do a lot for him." And now you can see the pressure sometimes. You know that the family's put under. Um, I mean, if he was like that with you, imagine how frustrated he must get with his loved ones when he needs something done for him, you know, and it is a little unfair. It does feel like maybe a lot of these people, you know, they're not just fighting because they love someone they're fighting out of obligation, right? That person's Mm -hmm. telling them, Hey man, I'm your son. I'm your brother. Like you you need to get me out of here. And they feel this sense of obligation not to let them just waste away in there. But that, that was really telling and his attitude. I, I mean, I don't think it hurt him. Obviously we, we look at all these cases. Um, I mean, there was another interview. He, uh, another interview, if I could think of where the, the convict just bombed it was um, Casey Grondin. Right. And just mm-hmm. in the way he answered things, but you know, it doesn't come down to that. We, we look, we help that family. Um, what it comes down to is, is the evidence, but yeah, it did demonstrate that he could be a hothead. Yeah. And, 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 and didn't take well to being challenged, right? Any, right. anything other than his narrative, uh, sent him flying off the, uh, the edge. So I started off this podcast by saying that this was an extremely difficult and extremely thin case, but it definitely seemed as the week went on that this rifle, right, which the family had said is one of the leads could not be the murder weapon. And if that had been true, then I think you guys, I'm assuming would have gotten behind the case, but the rifle couldn't be eliminated as the weapon. Ultimately, can you talk about, I mean, it really just came down to that weapon, right? That really was the determining factor in this decision. 
Yeah, it took for for me. Yeah, it it really was, uh, and and it was just the 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 whole stigma around the 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 rifle itself. You know how it got placed into you know the the, the explanation that was given as to how it got placed into Ken's uh, uh, a barn, and and the fact that it didn't pass our test that uh, we conducted uh, and and the rifle range. You know, and that that was that was really telling for me. You know because uh, I. I thought that rifle would have done way more damage than it than it did. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot around that that surrounds that uh, that gun and and uh, where it was found and 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 our experts' example that led to my decision. Yeah, I mean, we know my <laughs> we know that week and and what I what we all went through with just me. I mean, I will say this was one of the tougher cases. I I didn't want to give in. I personally didn't feel that any of the other stuff was enough. Um, you know, the friendship or, you know, the leeching business, perhaps not really working out. It just, it it was, it was hard for me to accept this one. Um, and because of the lack of evidence, um, and then, you know, that, that rifle, it's just, you you can't get over it. It, It's, it's, it's a piece of evidence that to say, um, you know, that he didn't do it is to say somebody planted it there. It, It just, how do you, how do you overcome that? You just can't. And you know, a jury couldn't either, right? It might as well to a jury have been a a palm print, unfortunately. Um, Hmm. But the reality is, you know, that is there the possibility? Is there, I mean, if somebody were to say years down the line, hey, you know what? Um, I actually, I, I was the person who planted that there. And here's what really happened. I can't say I'd be surprised because anything is possible, right? All it is is a piece of evidence that's placed on his property. I, I will, I will I eat would, my shoe would, when yeah. that happens. I, I, I'm I saying kinda, the, I would kind of be the likelihood is slim, guys. But what I'm but, saying <laughs> is, it's the possibility of it, sure. right? Like rather than and a I, palm print and saying somebody lifted the palm print and then put it back down, like I don't know how my hair got there. I don't know how the this is something where it's like anybody could have done it. Is the likelihood that somebody else did? No. Uh, and I went out to the house. There is, it would, it is very, very hard to get down to that house where that rifle was found. Either they would have had to swim across the lake or they would have had to come through a wooded trail where there are houses that surround it and, and sneak through a wooded trail and then walk through a, a huge open area and then get into his, his barn, hide that weapon, and then do the exact same thing in reverse. You know, all it's, possibilities, partner. But what I'm saying <laughs> is not likely. Well, not hold on. So likely. I do. So I do want to remind the audience because I think it's important so that you guys understand how we approach these cases and sort of the philosophy of the show. You know, Fatima, as an excellent criminal defense attorney, is coming up with these <laughs> possibilities. However, th- we're we're here because the families are stuck, and these right. are adjudicated cases. So. The burden of proof has shifted to them. So I'm sure Fatima could be an incredibly effective attorney for some of these people had they come to her first. Absolutely. Um, if, if I ever got in trouble, let me just make sure I say this. <laughs> if I ever get in trouble, Fatima is the only person that can defend me. She you is. will never partner. <laughs> so, so, but, but, I, but I think this is an important point for the audience. Um, we get these leads, which is basically the families giving us their best shot. They're saying, look, there was a wrongful murder conviction. We're stuck. We're broke. We're broken as a family. We don't know whether to go on or not. And Chris and Fatima are basically saying to them, okay, what are, give us your best, take your best swings at this. What are the four or five things that you think would help prove 
that this was a wrongful murder conviction. And remember, the burden of proof is on them. So based on those leads that the family's providing, Chris and Fatima are investigating it and seeing if any of them um, would potentially lead to an exoneration. Now, in the case of Ken Anderson, I think that if you had been able to determine, Chris, through that testing, that it was impossible that that rifle found in the barn was the murder weapon, that could have been a game changer. Had that gun not... Uh, or if, if there was a way that our expert could have said that it's impossible for this weapon to have caused that type of damage or it's, it's impossible that this weapon was used, then, yeah, it would have been a game changer. But then I would have had to revert back to Ken's statement. And, you know, Ken's statement really doesn't help him out at all. So I can't say that it would have definitely changed my mind, but it would have been a I, I will say that it would have made me rethink uh, my decision. Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's no way that could have been the murder weapon, we would have I I would have made sure we lean differently in this case, mainly because it's a lead. Right. I mean, if they're going to point to something as being the possible murder weapon and there's no way it can be, I think that's grounds for appeal. And that's information that a court needs to see. But, you know, just that's not the way it turned out, unfortunately. And so, you know, somebody like Geraldine has to continue this fight. And it's unfortunate because we we would have really liked, you know, like every family to help this family if, if it it was a wrongful conviction. Well, what's amazing to me is, and I think families harden, you know, and I think that stories get spun around and sometimes uh, convicts from inside the prison. So, you know, how many times are there things that are incredibly factual, right? Where there's no subjectivity, for example, go look at my cell phone records, bring them to an expert. It'll show you that I couldn't possibly have been at the scene. And we've had that a lot. And then it shows the opposite. And uh, Frank was really convinced and so is Geraldine, that there was absolutely no way that the rifle found in the, in the attic of that barn could have been the murder weapon. And when he found out that it could have been, I think for Frank, more than Geraldine, that really did have an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That was just there was just so much. And I think there were some points about the uh, the rifle that I don't even know if we were able to get into in, in the show, like the fact that, uh, you know, it was a part of the investigation during the uh the investigation of that uh that atv you know they they went in uh you know ken says that he took that rifle six months prior to and sold it to chad and chad got rid of it but there was a portion of of the investigation where i saw that they saw that particular weapon in his house months after he said that uh, after chad had gotten away with uh, gotten rid of it so you know there was just a whole lot of information in that case that uh that uh, and it all pointed to that weapon that it just points to what I think we made the right decision. I think so. I mean, I, I, listen, this is how I know we come to the, the best decision that we can for the family is because they are always our number one priority. And sometimes, you know, throughout the week, I myself may get sidetracked and wanting to make the convict my number one priority. And it's, it's, you know, natural. That's my day job normally. Um, But, you know, once I'm reminded of that and we look at the evidence in light of that, in light of what is really going to help this family, what is, is there anything to hold on to? Is there anything that they could take back and and file an appeal with or anything? Um, And when you just don't have it, 
um, you know, you just, you can't sit there in line. You can't give false hope. So at the end of the day, we have those tough conversations. We go back and forth all week. We get in fights. We cry. I think I cried that week for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, just because, you know, everything is so heavy and you don't want to get it wrong. You just, you, you, you don't want to get this wrong and, um, you don't want to, you know, disappoint these families, but ultimately, um, you're doing it for them. So hopefully, you know, Geraldine and, and his brother, um, you know, feel at least grateful for that. I think, I think they do. So we're going to get one update on this case. Uh, Fatima did an interview with uh, one of Chad's closest friends, and it was really uh, a, a powerful interview. And we have Greg Ressler, who is joining us. Greg, how's it going? It's going fantastic. Thank you. Hi, Greg. Hey, Hi. Greg. How you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. The weather here is a lot different than when you were here, that's for sure. What's it like right now? Uh, about 90 degrees in sunshine. No. Oh, my gosh. I can't oh, even wow. imagine that place. 90 degrees in sunshine. I can't imagine the sunshine. I don't think we saw any. <laughs> we didn't see any. Oh, I've never seen so much snow in my life. So, Greg, yeah. I, I know you were really tight with uh, with Chad, much more than Ken. But um, when you spoke to Fatima, you know, you were skeptical that Ken was the shooter. And um, now that Chris and Fatima concluded their investigation and um, really didn't feel like there was enough there to help Ken, what, what, what's your feelings about that? Um, that's a very, very good question. Uh, for me personally, I guess, um, Still a little mixed on it. I get why they came to their conclusion, but yet because I was so close to the situation, you know, I still had three, four other potential suspects, but it does kind of solidify a little bit more that, you know, maybe Ken possibly did do it. Mm -hmm. So what, what, uh, what changed your mind, Greg? Well, was there any particular thing that, that kind of made you sway any different? Um, I guess, you know, the aspect that the ballistics of the gun probably did, you know, uh, was a little more solidified than how it was displayed in court. In court, it was like a maybe it did. Possibly it did. And with some of the other factors that came into play, yeah, you know, you start rolling around in your head, you know, he possibly could have. I just, like I said, uh, I still had three or four other individuals in the back of my head. They're still kind of there a little bit that, you know, they still could have possibly have done it. However, yeah, I get where you're coming from as well. You know, uh, my, my last question, uh, is there any evidence that points towards those individuals? That's that, that is a really good question. Um, no. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciated the interview with you and it was, it was different and very helpful in a lot of ways because you're somebody who, you know, you were close friends with Chad. So it's always nice to be able to sit down with someone who we would almost consider a friend of the victim who is saying, but I really don't even think, you know, the convict in this case did it. Um, And we know that, you know, you don't really care for him. I mean, you know, he didn't have any ill feelings toward him either, but you weren't friends you know, necessarily friends with him. So it was important to hear that you just didn't feel like that the dynamic that they had or the relationship they had, or even what you had witnessed those moments you had met Ken, that you just didn't think he was capable of this. And that's, you know, something that makes us go back and say, okay, 
you know, you, you hear that often from people who are um, the convicts, family and friends. And not that we discredit that. I mean, if somebody's saying, well, it just didn't seem like his personality and that's not, you know, what I experienced when the two were together, that is important. We do consider all of that for sure. But because you're kind of a person who wasn't, didn't have any bias in this, um, I'd say for myself, I consider that a whole lot more. And it made me go back and look at all those suspects again, for sure. And that's needed, right? Let's go back. Let's look at what evidence there is. And I went one by one because we had a few. Um, and what it has to come down to at that point, and I think I can speak on behalf of Chris, what it came down to in this case wasn't so much character, although <laughs> as we yeah. talked about, you know, the interview didn't go really great. He didn't make himself sound too great. Um, but really what this came down to was the evidence and just evidence that was just too damning. And at the end of the day, it's, it's like it still just points only to him. Well, that's one of the things that I probably appreciate the most that you and Chris bring to the table and the show brings to the table is you do look at all sides of the evidence. You do take into account the different emotions and the psyche and the different feelings that are coming into play within the whole aspect of the legal system and what what is going on with each individual, uh, each individual you interview and then you take it all into account and you really kind of bring it around full circle. You guys really do do your due diligence on that. Well, and, and Thank you, Greg. We appreciate that. Um, I'm glad that you were able to see that. Um, hey, Greg, I have um, one question and then we'll let you go. But um, do you ever look back? There's a moment in your interview with Fatima that I found kind of haunting. And that's when you were recounting the incident um, where you guys all went to, I think it was a lunch or a dinner. And when Chad stepped away and he had introduced you as like his close friend, Ken turned to you and said, I'm his close friend, not you. Do you ever look back on that moment and think maybe, maybe there was, that was sort of a sign there? Yeah. Even at the moment I thought, wow, he's kind of getting a little bit uh, testy about this and somewhat angry. And I think what held him back a little bit was there were so many other individuals that were all, friends of Chad's in some capacity. Yeah, that you raise a good point there. Yeah, I did. At then, yes, down the line, there are moments where I've reflected back on that. Chad was a great guy, you know, and um, yeah. I still think he still looks over me from time to time. So, Greg, I didn't get the opportunity to meet you face to face, but I watched the interview and uh, I, I appreciate you what you brought to this investigation. Well, thanks, Chris. Awesome. All right. If you're ever in Thanks. the Bay Area, San Francisco, doing any uh, radio stuff, let me know. <laughs> you got it. Thanks so Grab much. Grab a drink. Right. I, I feel like I feel like we need a time and temperature check from you, Greg, on the way out. But thank you. Ninety-one <laughs> <laughs> uh, degrees with winds out of the west at about twenty-six miles an hour. <laughs> uh, sounds so good. <laughs> thank awesome. you, Greg. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 
All right. Well, that was a really, really hard case, um, but glad we had a chance here to discuss it. We've got so many more episodes coming. Um, please, the day after the episodes run, every Monday night, 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery, uh, download the podcast and hear Chris and Fatima talking about what went on behind the scenes, what the deliberations were like. This season was intense. It was emotional. It was powerful. And we really hope you'll join us for the rest of the way. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. My name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. We will see you next week. Have a good week, everybody. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.